Welcome to City Talk with Sabrina Bengal and Lee Bettis. You and Sabrina came up with a great idea. You know, those are what we call the down ballot races with the judges. What does down ballot mean? Down ballot means you've, you've got the headliners. You've got the presidential race. You've got the gubernatorial race. You've got the United States senatorial race. And then you have these races that don't get nearly as much attention because those top ballot races are getting so much media attention. Uh, but there are some very important races. Now, all the district court judges are, of course, on the ballot this time, but none of them have competition. They're elected every four years, and maybe we need to talk a little bit about the difference between district court judges and superior court yeah, judges. Yeah, the folks at home, I mean, look, what just – you can tell us better, but what is the difference between a district court judge and a superior court judge? District court judges serve within their district, and the state's divided into judicial districts. Ours is the 3B district, Craven, Carteret, Pamlico counties, uh, and we have five district court judges, and they rotate within those five counties, and they hear uh, the misdemeanor criminal offenses without a jury. They also uh, handle family court, all the matters involving family court, uh, divorces, custody cases, juvenile court, uh, and the less uh, serious civil cases. The Superior Court judges serve eight-year terms, and they are elected in their judicial district. They're elected in these three counties, but they serve throughout the uh, judicial, throughout the, the Superior Court region, and ours runs from Craven County all the way down to New Hanover, Brunswick, uh, New Hanover County, and as far west as Wayne County. So a Superior Court judge will rotate in the what's called a division in the entire division uh, over the term of their eight years. So they're elected there in office for eight years. Hey, and one of the things and is... And, of course, I, and they try the more serious cases, murder cases, cases where you have a jury, uh, the felony cases, uh, and also the uh, more serious uh, civil cases. Honestly, most people are sitting at home going... Why in the world would I care about a judicial race? What what difference does that make to me? I I never want to go to court. I never want to be involved in a civil dispute. I never want to be involved with criminal law. So why why in the world would it make a difference to anybody sitting at home that the, that we have these judicial down down what you call well, them? down ballot down races? ballot races? Why 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 should people care? Well, there are several reasons. Reasons. First of all, if you're called for jury duty, which many citizens are, you're most likely to be in a superior court setting. Secondly, uh, we oftentimes don't realize how important that role is, but Superior Court judges, especially in some civil matters, rule without a jury on very important issues. One issue right now in the city of New Brunswick, days in building. Uh, the city wants to uh, uh, tear it down, demolish it, say it's in uh, disrepair. The owners uh, say, no, we want to fix it up. They file a lawsuit. A Superior Court judge has made the decision as to whether or not the owners have the right to repair the building or the city has a right to demolish it. So that's one recent example. Uh, but Superior Court judges make many, many decisions. They also are the first uh, line of interpretation of the constitutionality of the laws uh, in our state. Now, their, their decisions can be appealed. But it's superior court judges who are the kind of the rubber on the road, so to speak. Yeah, and I know for you and I, for you and I being in the business, that was a great answer, by the way. You and I being in the business, you've done it for what thirty-seven years, thirty-five years. How uh, thirty? I think going on thirty-eight. Yeah, thirty-eight years you've been there, and there, uh, and we watch a lot of uh, superior court judges come through, and 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 the, they bring they. 
you know, their personalities, their education, their backgrounds bring a lot to the table, and there are differences in them. Um, and, that, and that's what we're going to explore today. We have uh, Robert McAfee um, this week, and next week we're going to have Josh Willie. Um, both of them, I know both of them personally. They're, they're both likable guys, but in the end, the, you know, we're trying to present them to the people out there. So good morning, Robert McAfee. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're, well, you're running for what now? I'm running for Superior <laughs> Court Judge for District 3B, Craven Carteret in Pamlico Counties. Dave, what do you think we should do? Ask him a little bit about his background. How do you yeah, do I this? I've Robert, never interviewed a judge. <clears throat> Robert, just tell us a little bit about where you were raised, bring us up to when you began your law career. Sure. What I like to tell people is that I wasn't born in North Carolina, but I got here as fast as I could. <laughs> I like it. Um, I like it already. I was born and raised in Portland, Maine. Um, grew up there, went to high school there. And while I was there, my 11th grade English teacher's son went to a college named Duke University. And is that we, in North Carolina? That is in North Carolina. All right, good. To, to put those rumors to rest, it All is. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so I learned about Duke. This is before Duke sort of exploded on the national scene. This is back in the early 80s. Um, and so I applied and got in, and I came to Duke. And once I got to Duke, I was bitten. If, a place that you can wear shorts in February. <laughs> uh, and walk around and go to college in a beautiful setting in a beautiful town. Uh, I, you know, I was I was hooked, and I've been in North Carolina ever since, with one exception. I, I did go back up to New York City for one year to go to Columbia University. I got my master's degree there. A master's in what? I didn't know that. Yeah, in English. I was I was I had set out to get a PhD in English, and got into the program at Columbia. And at the end of the first year, you have to sit for a master's exam, which is a day. It's almost like a bar exam. And you you write like crazy, and you do all these things, and then they decide who gets to go on for the Ph.D. program. So there are 76 of us in the master's program, and six went on to the Ph.D. program. Wow. Um, but you're in a master's degree on the way. So uh, after that, I said, well, I'm going. I, one New York winter did it for me. I came back down. Was yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I was up there for a long time. No, all right, so you came back down, and after, I mean, English leads itself into um, the law how? Persuasion. Um, you, you got persuasion. You got, you got elements of history involved. As you know from law school, there's an enormous amount of reading involved. Uh, Where did you go to law school? I went to Campbell. Right. Um, Bowie's Creek at that time. Bowie's Creek at that time. That's right. They moved it to Raleigh a few years ago under the leadership of uh, uh, Dean Leonard, and uh, it's it's, it's sort of taking off downtown Raleigh. But back when it was in Bowie's Creek, there's, you know, not a lot to do in Bowie's Creek, so you got to study. And so we had a very uh, effective, uh, hands-on program at, at Campbell University. You, you, you walk out of Campbell Law School and you can walk into a courtroom and try a case. Campbell Law School, a lot of folks don't know, was, uh, I guess, first class was around 75, 76, 77, mm -hmm. but they concentrated on having a clinical program. You know, back at, back at that time, most law schools taught you the language of the law and, and, and the law, but they didn't really give you much practical application. But Campbell, I think, was the first law school in the state to really do the, the clinical practice. Yep. And you're, in your second year, you, uh, you try a mock criminal trial. In your third year, you try a mock civil trial. And they, they are one of the first schools to really pioneer the third-year practice program where yep. you could actually go into real courts under the, under the leadership of Let, the Let's do this. Let's do this. Um, civil and criminal, because we're going to bring this up a little bit later. But, you know, for the folks at home, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to explain to them what's going on. We, now we know the difference between district court and superior court. What's, what's the difference between civil and criminal? I know it sounds like a basic question, but, you know, when most of the folks at home don't know. Right. Well, criminal cases are the ones that most people hear about. Um, they're, they're the ones where someone's charged with a criminal offense, violating the law, either the state of North Carolina or federal law in federal courts. Uh, and they have, they're, they're charged with a, with, 
committing that crime, uh, if they are convicted, there's a punishment involved. And that's punishment can be anywhere from a fine in minor infraction cases all the way up to life without parole and the death penalty, depending on how serious the, the offense is. Uh, civil cases are usually disputes over either money, uh, property, uh, or actions by other people, for instance. Um, and so you have things like, you know, if you have a contract, a breach of contract, that would be a civil case. No one's going to jail at, at the end of that trial. No a one's facing wreck. a car wreck case, dri you know, negligent driving, that sort of thing. Property line disputes. Um, you know, neighbors disputing over, you know, where their property begins and ends and that sort of thing. Disputes over wills. Uh, that's in superior court's jurisdiction, too. If someone disagrees with the will and a family's divided, that goes in, into a, the lap of a superior court judge. Uh, in the superior court jurisdiction, though, it, David said earlier, it's more serious civil cases, and that's because there's a threshold. You gotta, your dispute has to be more than $25,000, the, the amount in To get into superior court. To get into superior court. Otherwise, it's tried in district court. Otherwise, it's tried in district. Uh, and then the, the felony cases are in the jurisdiction of superior court. They can only be tried in superior court. Uh, and you can try them in front of a jury. We now have jury waivers, but uh, that's not. I, you know, that's another thing we got to talk about: jury waivers. I mean, honestly, I think it's a horrible idea, David. Well, I, you know, I, I can take both sides of that. Because you're a great lawyer, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I, let me just tell you this: if I were a defendant, there were sometimes I'd probably rather face a judge who would decide a case solely on the law than to face a jury who might be more swayed by emotion. So I think there are some cases where. It probably is advantageous to it. Well, you know what? You know but why you, I think it's wrong, uh, and I'll tell you why I think it's wrong. I think there are, in you know, in case any district attorneys are listening out there, or I already, former district or attorneys. former or district, and I'm sitting in a room. It's like sitting or in a room full of district attorneys or whatever. Go ahead with your story, lady. No, I think uh, you know, as a practicing defense attorney, and you're you're. I think the presumption of innocence, and I don't know, if, you know, if, if if you've seen this, but we went from a day when, back in the day when Perry Mason was respected as the, you know, the, you're on TV, Perry Mason, the defense attorney, was always right. He always won. And Who I watch every night, by the way, comes on at 1130 on one of those cable channels. I, I love it. But so, then yeah. then you'll know the, the prosecutor always ended up looking bad. Hamilton the, Burger. Hamilton Burger. Or never, Hamburger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hamilton Burger never won a case. And he always looked befuddled by this by this defense attorney and that's in a, there was a presumption of innocence back then that i don't think we have then you then you get into the matlock era even during yeah. the matlock era and i'm not being i'm not being snyder or, or jokey about it but even matlock he was the defense attorney always looked good there was a presumption of innocence people were pulling for the people uh for defendants to be innocent you switch up around 9 11 to uh jack mccoy on law and order and it flops the defense attorneys all of a sudden look or are, are portrayed as bad uh Jack McCoy was always right, and I've seen a flop in I've seen a flop in the presumption of innocence out there. So I think this I think the system is stacked against us. There's a lot of pressure to get people to to plead out, and I think that if if you if you if we have the option, well, if a defendant has the option, well, you can either take the trial by uh, by a, a bench trial, or we're going to increase the charges on you uh, if you decide to take a jury trial. I think it may influence. Uh, in, it may have undue influence in some cases, and I, I, I and I, I don't like that. That's something we probably, if we have time, we may want to talk to Robert about because I think what you're really hitting on here, what I see as the bigger problem, is the lack of resources in the judicial system uh, and it, because of the heavy caseloads and the limited uh, number of personnel to handle those cases. And that it really starts with plea bargaining. 
Yeah, it does, and that's I mean, what that's you, you, in, 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 in that is necessitated by the fact that we don't have enough hours of court and enough personnel to try every case to take the time that, that we'd probably like to. But maybe that's a discussion for another day. Yeah, no, and, and that, that just but, brought but, that up. Yeah, but, but it is a good point. What year did you finish law school, Robert? I got out in 1994. Okay. Uh, and my first job was as a law clerk to uh, United States Magistrate Judge Ken McCotter in New Bern. Uh, he was a federal magistrate judge here, and I lucked out and got the job. Uh, it's a one-year clerkship. I, it brought me to New Bern for the first time. What, tell tell folks it. what you do as a clerk for a federal magistrate. Well, it, uh, a law clerk for any judge, you are the judge's, essentially you're the judge's legal uh, assistant. Uh, it, it, when you work for Ken McCotter, you also have to be able to either drive the boat or catch, <laughs> catch Spanish mackerel, but uh, but ordinarily. Or, or clean the duck guns. Or clean the duck guns, that's yeah. right. Uh-huh. Um, but ordinarily, uh, during, during the day, the judge is going to have several hearings docketed on there, usually pretrial criminal hearings. So we go through the hearings, and the attorneys show up, and the defendant's there, and they, they have the hearing. And then after that, the judge will come back, sit down with the law clerk, and just say, here's how I think I'm going to rule in this case. I need you to do some research. Tell me about you know, this particular issue, this suppression issue, this, you know, whatever, the, whatever the issue is before the court. And the law clerk does you know, sometimes memos. Sometimes the law clerk will write a proposed opinion in the case. And back in 1994, this is going to sound strange to a lot of folks listening to this show, you actually had to go to a library where there were paper books mm-hmm. and research. They had those? Yeah. They didn't have these little keyboards with these screens where you could just – of course, you know, nowadays we – we can do on a laptop research in 15 minutes that it would have taken hours to do in ni- just in 1994. Yep, yeah, well, they, the, back to the folks at home, though, you had those big law libraries. You'd find your case. You'd find a case that you like, and then you had to do the hard work, which was shepherdizing. Exactly. Shepherdizing yeah. meant you had to go through a million and one cases by hand to find out if that law was still good yeah. law. Right. You'd search a case oftentimes by what we call keywords, which is the, the word you're looking for. You might have five citations, but you might go read five of those cases, and none of them might actually address the issue mm-hmm. that you're researching, and you, you have to go back. But at any rate. I but, wanted to point one thing out. Um, you know, there's we so far we're, we're talking about state court. So we have district, district state court, superior court in the state, and then Ken McCotter was a federal magistrate judge. And the importance of that is those jobs are pretty tough to come by. It's competitive to get a job as mm-hmm. a – for clerking, I mean, it's a it's a high prestige you know high prestige job to get a to get a job as a federal clerk, uh, and, and you really have to know your stuff. I mean, how'd you get that? And also, of course, people think of magistrates now; they think of state magistrates where you just go and get warrants or mm-hmm. warrants to serve. No, it's a different. Now, federal thing. magistrates are entirely different. Right? They're 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 judicial officials. I mean, both of them are, but the the uh, federal magistrate judges are basically. Uh, they're judges for all intents and purposes. Uh, they serve limited terms. They're not appointed for life like you, the ones you see on like the Supreme Court or our, our federal district judges. Um, and they serve to, functions to help the district judges move their move the docket along, move the case log along. Uh, and they they do everything from pretrial criminal hearings. They hear misdemeanor cases, uh, a lot of pretrial civil things, things that motions that attorneys make. They want to keep certain evidence in or out. Those are sometimes or most of the time heard by federal magistrate judges. So you get it, an enormous range of things that you do. So you got some good experience for a year in the federal oh, yeah. system. Yeah. And after that, after the end of a clerkship, that usually leads to another job. Right, it did. And, and you know, I got, I got to see how the judge thinks, how the judge approaches a problem and that sort of thing. And about 
this, the year that I did this, 94, 95, uh, Ken McCotter had been on the bench for 16 years as a magistrate judge. And the end of his term was coming up. And so he said, I'm going to go into the practice of law. I'm going to defer my retirement. I want to practice law again. Uh, when he was appointed to judge, by the way, he was the youngest one in the country. He was the youngest federal magistrate in the country. Uh, when we, he started looking around for jobs, I started looking around for jobs. And then one day he came in and he said, you know what? I really think I want to start my law firm back up. You want to come? And so next thing I know, McCotter and McAfee was born. Uh, I didn't know you practiced with uh, Ashton. Well, yeah, it started with with just me and Ken McCotter. And we didn't even have a legal assistant for a while. I was, you know, I was used to being his clerk, so I sort of became the legal assistant. Um, I actually had a speeding ticket my first day in practice. So I had to go to to court my first First day. First fee. Hold on, hold on. And how long did it take you to argue? You were up there doing jurisprudence and (laughs) using legal words and rest judicata? Charts and graphs and everything, yeah. Um, it, uh, it, we started with just two of us and we grew the practice and became McCotter, McAfee and Ashton. So it was me, Ken McCotter, Rudy Ashton, Kirby Smith and Terry Sharp. Now you re- may recognize some of those names. Certainly Kirby Smith for a while was a district court judge and Terry Sharp is our current clerk of superior court. So and what type of practice did you have within that practice? What did you do mainly? Um, I did mainly uh, criminal defense in state and federal court. Um, I did, uh, civil litigation with Rudy, who did insurance defense work. Uh, and then I also did some, uh, a variety of cases with Ken. We did product liability cases. We did, um, we did admiralty cases, boat cases under federal jurisdiction. That was, that's, that's a that's mystery. A There's only like maybe two guys in, in all of Eastern Carolina does it. Steve Weeks and maybe one other guy. Yeah, those, those laws are actually very unique. Um, mm. I mean, it gets back into the old salvage. If your boat breaks down, the oh, good. pirates can come by. That, and, and that was one of, that's actually one of a, a great case that I had one time. We represented a boat owner who had salvaged a boat. He had, a boat had gone adrift and he pulled it in. It's a beautiful, gorgeous 50 something foot sailboat. And he, he had pulled it in, and the owner had – the guy had it in storage, and he has a lien on it. He has a right to be reimbursed for his services, and he can actually seize the boat if need be to, to get his fee. Well, the owner sort of snuck in the middle of the night and took the boat, and we found it on Ocracoke. And so we filed a federal lawsuit. to, to It's called arresting the vessel. And you get a federal magist- or a marshal to go basically seize control of the vessel. And what we did was we found it in Ocracoke, and my job, which is this is one of the great days to practice law, was go down to Cedar Island, get on the ferry, go to Ocracoke, and meet the marshal at 6 o'clock in the morning <laughs> to take control of a 50-something-foot sailboat. Uh, and, and we did it, and, and you know we got it, and eventually my guy got his money, and the owner got his boat back, and you know things work out. But that's the kind of sort of fun stuff you do when you get out of the office practicing law. I've never done anything fun like that. I had to go to Kinston once. <laughs> well, you know, I can see your boat being seized, though. Uh, oh, ooh. <laughs> Captain Lee. <laughs> At any rate, how many years were you in practice in that firm? Uh, that, we grew that firm up to the five attorneys. We had ten staff members when I left in 2002. Uh, I, I started to say, you know, we've grown this great firm, but I kind of like the, the tilting at windmills approach to things and, and being the small guy. Uh, so I started my own practice, McAfee Law. Um, and it was me. And my wife, Tammy, was my legal assistant and was, was a very good one, by the way. Uh, yes. And, and say hello to everyone at Carolina Orthopedics who's listening in right now. Good morning, Carolina Orthopedics <laughs> Good and morning, Tammy. Tammy. That's, that's where Tammy works now. Um, and so when I went into private practice, that's when you sort of start out, and you all have learned this, when you start practicing law, you take almost anything that comes through the door, and then you learn to be selective. And so that, that's when does happened. that part come in, being selective? <laughs> 
Uh, and so I did, I did, again, criminal defense in state and federal court, did domestic work. Um, I did civil litigation in superior court and in federal court as well. Um, I got to do, you know, interstate lawsuits. That was a lot of fun. Um, represented two businesses here in Craven County where I ultimately had to file pleadings or watch cases in the Northern District of Texas and the Eastern District of Michigan. Now, let me kind of stop you here and, and ask you about something else, which which really relates to the, the current superior court system here. In the federal court, they went paperless when? Um, 2000. Almost 10, 10 or more years oh, ago. Oh, easily, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Early and when 2000s. I say paperless, uh, if you've been involved in the court system, uh, we probably clear a, a national forest a year with the paperwork mm. in, in the court system. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's very heavily uh, uh, papered. Uh, the modern technological trend is to go to what's called a paperless system where you actually file your pleadings, uh, you do your filings online, so they're actually done electronically, and there's no paper. Mm -hmm. The federal system is entirely paperless, I believe. Yeah, it's, uh, there's only very few circumstances where you have to file something physical with the clerk now. So you're using laptops, you're using computers. Mm -hmm. But the state court system, uh, and this is something I have an interest in, we have been technologically behind the curve. I started as a prosecutor in 1979 uh, and in, until 2006. We've always been behind the curve because we get such a small portion. I think the entire court system gets less than 3% of the state budget. Entire court system for the whole state, which is funded. Honest to God. Mm -hmm. Honest to God. Yeah. Even though the court system actually generates revenue uh, for uh, locally, all fines and forfeitures in the court system in this state, uh, when a person pays anything from a traffic ticket to a serious conviction where there's a fine, that fine amount goes directly to the county school board fund in the county where the court sits. So if you pay a speeding ticket, you get a $25 fine. The court doesn't keep any of that. It goes straight to the Board of Education. And right. I don't know what the figure is recently. It used to be around a million dollars a year at least Craven County Schools would get from the court system. In addition, you pay a cost to court. And, and a, a big part of that cost, part of it goes directly to the county to provide the facility, the court building. So the county gets some reimbursement for having to provide a courthouse. Uh, and there are other fees that are paid. So the court system does generate some return, unlike a lot of other state agencies. Uh, but there's been a chronic, and I'll ask you to comment on this, from a technological standpoint, it's been very difficult to get us into the 21st century, and we're still paper-dependent. Right, and, it, and the, the court system is, is chronically underfunded. Um, it, it, the demands put on, uh, just, just on the criminal side of things, in the DA's offices, the demands put on that system are enormous. Um, but it, yeah, in the federal system, it's all, you know, everything's electronic, everything's, you, you can practice law with a, with a laptop and a scanner, and you're, you're pretty much good. And I'll, I'll jump ahead with you a little bit, but you stayed in private practice until what year? Tell us about what you do now. Um, I, a little over four years ago, uh, July of 2012, uh, I changed jobs. I, changed, I actually changed the entire path of my legal career. Uh, at that point, I'd been in pra practice for 17 years. Um, I got a call from Scott Thomas, the current district attorney, and he said, I have an opening for an assistant district attorney. And we had had conversations before just sort of casually saying, oh, maybe someday it, that might be interesting to do. 
And at this point, it got serious. And he said, "Do you, you know, I've got a spot. Do you want to come? And I had to really sit down and examine what I was doing. I mean, I took, ultimately, I said, yes, of course, that's what I've been doing. Um, but I took a two-thirds pay cut to work for the citizens of North Carolina. Um, and, I, and I do work that I love every day. But tell us exactly what you do in the district. Well, let, let, sure. me, let me tell you. We're gonna we're gonna take okay. a break, and okay. I think that's a I think that's a good I think that's a good place to take a break. Um, I didn't know you, you were a two thirds pay cut. Well, you think think about the revenue you generate after seventeen years in practice, and then we're gonna you, come back and talk you know, about that and say, hey, you know, why did, why would you do that? Why would you work for the citizens of uh, North Carolina, and why you want to be a superior court judge? When we come back from break. Sure. The Baker's Kitchen, located at 227 Middle Street in downtown New Bern, is the best destination in New Bern where you can have breakfast all day. The Baker's Kitchen has everything to satisfy your hunger, from delicious omelets, pancakes, eggs, grits, gravy, and our signature best French toast in town. All of our items are baked fresh every day. Try our homemade pies, cookies, muffins, breads, and our delicious cinnamon rolls. Stop by and let our friendly staff serve you. The Baker's Kitchen opens Sunday through Thursday, 7 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. and Friday and Saturday, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. The Baker's Kitchen at 227 Middle Street in downtown New Bern. Your place to go for breakfast all day. The best French toast in town and your home for home cooking away from home. A great web design will help your business rise above the clutter and stand out from your competition. Newburn Web Design partners with their clients to create powerful, stylish, and mobile-friendly websites focused on converting visitors into loyal customers. Newburn Web Design will guide your company through the web design process from concept development to site launch. Even if you already have a website but would like to give it a new look or just add features to appeal to more users, Newburn Web Design can help with that as well. For website design that results in more traffic, leads, and sales, NewburnWebDesign.com. Want to know what I like best about high school sports? I love watching my son run on the field. I love the fact that since he's been playing high school sports, he's making better decisions. And I love knowing that with the proper equipment, education, conditioning, and coaching, high school sports here in North Carolina are safer than ever before. That's something I really love. This message presented by the North Carolina High School Athletic Association and the North Carolina Athletic Directors Association. Join Toyota of Newburn for MomFest, October 8th and 9th in historic downtown Newburn. This weekend's celebration will feature the high-flying X-Pogo Extreme Pogo Team, the Bud Light Beer Garden, the Purina Daredevil Dog Team, the Gardens at Tryon Palace, plus musicians, food, amusement rides, and entertainment galore. Kick off the weekend Friday night with the Bojangles MomFest kickoff concert on the south lawn of Tryon Palace with Eric Paslin. Come and enjoy MomFest in beautiful, historic downtown New Bern. 252 Radio is a proud sponsor of MomFest. MomFest is sponsored by Toyota of New Bern, the North Carolina Education Lottery, Wells Fargo, the Galley Store and Marina, Carolina East Health System, WITN, and Biomark Advertising. MomFest, October 8th and 9th in downtown New Bern. Learn more at MomFest.com. New Bern, North Carolina. 107.5 FM and 1450 AM. Really? 
You've got the magic touch. Oh, yes. Daryl, you do have the magic touch in the morning. I love it. Hey, we are back on City Talk Live 107.5. We are now streaming uh, on Facebook. So, Sabrina, you are off in Italy this week. Um, I don't know if you can hear me. Does 107.5 make it over to Italy? Well, then I'll text her and tell her we're back online, uh, and she can stop with that. We're here with Robert McAfee, uh, candidate for Superior Court Judge. We're also here sitting in for Sabrina Bengal this week is uh, Dave McFadden, um, icon, longtime lawyer. Oh. Yeah, no, I, there's a few legends. Let me just tell you, there's a few legends in law around here, and everybody knows about it. And when you get here, you hear about the legends in law. It's Buzzy Stubbs, legend. Dave McFadden, legend. Mm. Mark Chestnut, legend. Mm. Oh, Steve Lacey. <laughs> there's, there's some legends. <laughs> there's legends in law, and that's that. you're up there, and I'm glad uh, to I have don't you. know if we better go very far with that one. No, <laughs> I, I'll say it if you want. Um, but so we're here. Um, we're here with the legend. And but I'm happy, very happy to be here. Right before, uh, right before, for the people on Facebook who are just joining us, right before we got off the air, we went, uh, we did the, a brief history with uh, Robert McAfee, candidate for Superior Court judge. Um, went to Duke, went to Campbell, practiced uh, both civil and uh, pr- civil and criminal law in the private sector. Worked with a, a federal magistrate judge. Had a great career. Went on for about 17 years. After 17 years, he decided he needed, I guess, some. I don't know why, but he took a, a two-thirds cut in his pay to become a an assistant district attorney, uh, and that's where we left it off. Why in the world did you take a two-thirds cut? I mean, you have a kid in high school. I see you dropping your child off at high school every day. Now, did your wife go mad when you said, I want to take a two-thirds cut to become a public servant? And you had to fire your employee. And I had to fire my own employee. You have your, to wife? your wife? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that never goes well. Well, it, 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 as far as the, the change goes, it was, uh, to some extent, a calling and, to some extent, a challenge to myself. Um, the, I explained this to people when I talked to them. I said that the role of a defense attorney is to zealously represent your client within the bounds of the law. You've got one person and basically one perspective you've got to focus on, and it's hard to do. The job of a prosecutor, the ethical job of a prosecutor is to seek justice, and, and it, it's a different calling. It's a completely different perspective on the law, and, and it's a very difficult job to do, which I didn't learn until I started to do it. Um, but as far as the, as the change goes, it was, I was at a point in my life where I wanted a different perspective. I wanted a different path in life. Uh, I just finished a big case, I'd, and the, I'd, uh, I was actually trying in the five months before I joined the DA's office, I had the number one trial against the DA's office five months in a row. Um, <laughs> jury trial, superior court, every single one. And uh, that probably helped some too because I just said, you know, I respect the quality of people that I'm adversaries with. It, you know, maybe that's what I should do. And I thought about it a lot. I talked to Tammy a lot about it, my wife. Um, I talked to the girls about it. I have three daughters, um, Emily, uh, Mary, and Anna, and uh, I talked to them about it because it was going to be a big change. And, uh, and they were supportive of me. They were, they were, you know, a little worried about it, but they were really supportive of me. And, and uh, I haven't so regretted it. So you just did this because it was a calling? I did. And, and, I, and I wanted the experience. I, you know, uh, it, for a long time I've thought about running for judge or being a judge. And I said to myself, I can't be a one-trick pony. I, I've got to have a different perspective. I've got to have, just as I had a range of cases that I handled. I mean, I handled anything under the sun almost that, when you think about it. 
But just as I had a range of cases, I had to have a different perspective as well. Got it. And so that's that's what ultimately said to me, you know, I get, I got to offer myself to the voters at some point as having something different from everyone else, and this is it. And I'll tell you what, no, and I respect that. Uh, Dave, uh, Dave McFadden here and, and myself, we're both criminal defense attorneys now, mm-hmm. and we both – work, you know, you know, we're adversaries, you and I are legal professional adversaries on, on, you know, it's an adversarial system that we practice in. We go up against, you know, you guys all the time. The prosecutors have their position on a case. We have our position on a case and we battle it out to try and find justice zealously for both sides. And I can tell you, Dave, um, you know, after having practiced in New York, uh, where, where I've cut my teeth in federal criminal law and the, you know, they're the top of the top in New York. But there's a lot of there. There's a lot of unprofessionalism going. People they make it overly difficult with egos, with with um, with emotion, with this and with that. And a lot of times, the dispassionate nature of doing their job gets in the way. I'll tell you, our our assistant district attorneys here, and I think you're you're probably in, uh, responsible for for this setting setting the tone of professionalism. Robert and I disagree on a daily basis. Just about on everything. Mm-hmm. The man fights hard. And by the way, that goes for Shakisha Hukins. It goes for every other district attorney up there. And at the end of the day, we disagree, but he's so agreeable. He goes, nope, we're not giving you that. We're not giving you that. There's a level of professionalism in this argumentative form of profession that we're and in. You're exactly right, Lee, and you see this around the country. And, and uh, one of the great things about prosecuting in the state system or participating in the state system is you're so close to the ground, so to speak. It's not like a federal prosecutor who may live in Raleigh and come to eastern North Carolina to prosecute a case, may not know anything really about the people. But the, the objective of our criminal justice system, and of course there are plenty of folks who go through it who disagree that they got a fair shake, so to speak, but it's to seek the truth mm-hmm. as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney. Now, a defense attorney's role is different, uh, but as a prosecutor, your main goal is to seek the proof. And as our retired Sheriff Pete Bland used to say, you've got just as much of an obligation to prove a person's innocence if they're accused as a prosecutor or as an investigator as you do their guilt. So uh, I, th- that was certainly my mantra in the district attorney's office. It carries office. on. We're, we're not here to, to stack up numbers of convictions. We're here to evaluate cases and do justice uh, for everybody involved to the extent we can. And I think I'm very proud to say I'm, I'm not going to take credit for it, but my experience is that continues to be uh, what happens with the district attorney's office here. Once again, people who've been through the court system uh, have personal interests; they may disagree, but uh, I'm very impressed. And I will tell you, uh, Robert would have certainly, if I'd have known he was interested before I retired, I would have hired him. Uh, he has done an exemplary job as a prosecutor. Uh, he does his job well. He works very hard. Uh, and has done a great job of representing the citizens because that's ultimately who you work for, Robert. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And we Thank appreciate you uh, I mean, and, and yours and the other efforts in your office and Scott Thomas. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I mean, and the, you know, it's it's your legacy that's continuing, but Scott Scott Thomas has to set the bar for that too and mm-hmm. say, hey, look, this is what I want out of my office, and it shows with his prosecutors. But and I mentioned she's, she's uh, Christy Hawkins, Terry Light, Robert, they, uh, Jackie. Deb, Jackie Smith. Jackie Smith. Deb Deb, Godwin down there does a stellar job. Karen Hobbs. Karen, oh, Karen Hobbs is a backbone. <laughs> Sorry, Karen. Well, I had to mention you. She's a senior assistant. Because she, uh, she'd actually slap me if I didn't. Uh, I'm seeing her in court a little bit later. But hey, all right. So now you you decided to change your you decided to change your job. You've now been a, a pro, an, an assistant dis, district attorney for what five years? 
Uh, four years and three months. All right. See, that's how precise he is. I've grayed up. I'm Italian. Eh, five years. Yeah, it was about seven years I've been doing it. But now all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, now you're up for Superior Court judge. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Because I think I can best serve the justice system on the bench now. Um, I, what does that mean? I mean, honestly. Well, it, you need someone on the bench who is, who is fair, first and foremost, who is knowledgeable, who has experience in the law and in as many facets of the law as possible. Uh, because it, given the variety of things that come in front of a Superior Court judge, uh, you need someone who, who knows what they're doing. Uh, there's no such thing as on-the-job training for a Superior Court judge. You, you've got to hit the ground running. The first day you're sworn in, the next yep. day you might be trying a murder case. Exactly, exactly. And uh, it, it, I think that uh, given my experience and, and the range of stuff that I did, uh, I think I can I definitely hit the ground running. Um, yeah, I, I think the citizens deserve... Uh, to have, I'm, I'm not saying I'm the best person in the world. I'm not saying I'm the best lawyer in the world. But they deserve people who are dedicated to the job. They deserve uh, judges who are going to be fair, who are going to be decisive, uh, who are going to be knowledgeable, who aren't going to treat it as a as a path to retirement. They're going to treat it as the job they want to do. Justice requires that we give our best as attorneys. And at this point, I want to give my best as a judge as well. Now, let me switch gears just a little yep. bit along the same line. It is an elected office. Now, uh, just the Superior Court judges, District Court judges in this state, and our appellate court judges uh, are nonpartisan positions. That means that unlike uh, running for the state senate or the United States president where you're a Democrat or Republican or an independent, uh, judges uh, do not run under a party affiliation. Uh, when people go and go down the ballot and find those judges' races, they will not find a party designation. Right. Uh, so since it is a nonpartisan race, that means judges, of course, have to appeal to uh, all the citizens uh, of their district, and it is three counties. Now, have you ever been involved in a political campaign before this one? No. Because that's exactly what it is. Yep. This is a political it, campaign. It is a campaign, and, and it's, this is my first jump into politics, and I'm learning my political lessons. Good, Hold on. Good, but, good and bad, but, left and right. But but tell me, I mean, this is this is why you know I wanted you here because here's the difference. You know, I'm I'm I was involved in politics. You're involved in politics, but the politics of judging is different than the politics of becoming a mayor. The parameters, and one of the things that that I find interesting, the parameters of becoming a mayor. You can go out there and you're making arguments based on you know and Supreme, promises. Yeah, mm-hmm. promise. But everything I promised, I, I delivered. But you're making set <laughs> the fire truck with your name on it. I didn't want that fire truck. <laughs> Lower, hey, hold on. Lowering electric rates in all of eastern North Carolina. Was Kudos for that. But, uh, but, the, uh, but, but it's different. The, I mean, I don't know what questions we can ask him. Uh, how does he view well, on Well, let me, let, me, let me tell you. The, the, the code of judicial conduct, there's a separate code of ethics for judges in North Carolina that, that goes, you know, lawyers are subject to the, professional, the rules of professional conduct, and judges have a separate code. That applies to candidates as well. And one of those rules is that when you're running for office, you cannot comment as, as a candidate on a particular issue or a particular case that is reasonably likely to come before the court. So if you started asking me questions about what do I think about HB2 or what do I think about voter ID, uh, you know, what do I think about the constitutionality of certain statutes, what do I think about, you know, someone filed a lawsuit to require someone to stand for the national anthem, I can't comment on that because the second I comment one way or the other, I'm essentially disqualifying myself from hearing that case if it ever were to come up. 
the whole point of a judge is to be neutral. You're supposed to wait until all of the evidence is, is in front of you, apply the law that's supposed to be applied, and make a decision. You have to put your personal feelings and beliefs aside, and mm-hmm. that can be very difficult. Oh, very much but, so. You know, you take an oath, whether it's a superior court judge or the district attorney. I took that oath many times over the years. Mm-hmm. You take an oath to uh, uphold the laws of the state, the Constitution, the state, and the nation. Right. And sometimes that can be tough. Is mm-hmm. that something you've given some thought to? You yes. Have to put those personal feelings aside on yeah. any issue. Yeah, and you, and you can't – I mean, you're going to hear cases of, of child molestation. You're going to hear cases that, that, that the facts will make your blood boil. And it can be difficult. If you, if you let it get inside, you have to, you have to keep the object, objectivity that, you, that they try to teach you in law school. And you learn as a lawyer you've got to be objective until all of the evidence is in front of you. And you've got to apply the law. And you don't get to change the law. You don't get to tinker with the Constitution. You have to follow the rules the way they're written. That's the whole point. Hold of being on, a but judge. isn't it? Isn't what? And I don't want to get too deep into f- political philosophy with the law. But you know, isn't it all subject to interpretation? I mean, you, there's no Constitution you can go look at and go, well, what do I do about uh, what do I do about guns and the you know that one yeah. you can. But even even that issue, even that issue, it's subject to interpretation. So I guess we. I guess what I would want to know is. Who are some of the Who are some of the judges out there that or or the the legal heroes that you have? Who do you Who do you look for? Like Supreme Court justice. Supreme yeah. Court justice. I mean, who would you look at? Can you answer questions like that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can. Uh, who do you respect? Who do I respect? Judge Malcolm Howard in Greenville. Um, I probably tried more cases in federal court in front of him than any federal judge. Uh, he was born and raised. I think it was Deep Run. He, he's from exactly. that area. Had a career in the Army. In the Army, he was lieutenant colonel when he retired. He um, great, was in the U.S. Man. Attorney's Office. He was in defense side. And is he still is he still judge up there? He's a senior judge now, um, but he's yeah he's very much on the bench. Uh, and federal federal district court judge. Federal he was the chief judge. federal district. Right. Uh, in in state court, I've had the pleasure of appearing in front of gosh scores of judges. Uh, Alan Cobb just retired from Wilmington. I love. Be appearing in front of Judge Cobb. What Judge was it about Judge Cobb you liked? Um, no nonsense. He, he, he was patient enough to let you put all your evidence in. Uh, he didn't try to hamstring you on things. Uh, but when you had enough evidence in, he, he wouldn't let you pile on. He was, he was very much uh, into getting to the point. Uh, he didn't like to waste jurors' time, which I really respect. Uh, if people are going to show up and do their civic duty, you treat them with respect and you, and you use them wisely. In other words, you, you make sure that the, they hear the evidence and that they make a decision and that you respect what they do. Uh, Judge Cobb, very much like Judge Alford, whom I respect as well. I mean, Judge Crow, whose seat I'm running for, uh, I respect, because they, they all had the same approach. You, you've, you've got to uh, use the resources that we have in the justice system to get to the point of saying <laughs> this is the truth. Here's the verdict, the speak the truth. Here's the verdict in the case. We've got to get to that point somehow. And, and as Dave just said, as Dave just said, uh, what do we have? Three percent of the budget for the judicial system. Exactly. So the resources are sparse. Yeah. Uh, you can't imagine how hard it is just to get printers and mm-hmm. and laptops and computers. I mean, it's a fight. But one thing that you hit on, uh, Robert, which is, I was, I'm very glad that you did. We've always got to be mindful in our jury trials when we summons jurors in for a jury trial, and we may call in 75 to 100 citizens of this county. Uh, and those are, I won't go into the process, but they're, you're drawn by, you, it's luck of the draw, essentially. Uh, we bring people into that courtroom who are losing their income by being at the courthouse. Mm-hmm. If they sell cars for a living or they sell insurance or they only get paid when they're working, 
So we have to be very mindful, and it's really the the superior court judge, the sitting judge, uh, who can push that process along so we adequately use those resources. And I'm glad that you pointed that out because that's something that we all need to be very mindful of. It is a tremendous inconvenience for most people who have to do their civic duty. When I was picking juries, I always used to say, other than service in the military in time of war, serving as a juror may be one of the greatest functions mm-hmm. that a citizen and, performs. And, Can I and, use and, that, and, Absolutely. <laughs> All right, I'm yeah, I'll, I'll give but you a few more, too. Luke. I need and, it. And uh, I, also keep in mind that the, the right to a jury trial is in the Constitution, So I mean, it, and, and the right to a defense is in the Constitution. These are things that, that are required by the, by the very documents that created our state and created our country. And, you know, when we talk about funding them, I'm sorry, you can't get around it. You can't get around it. So that's why, you know, adequate funding the court system is so important. It, 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 there's no other uh, aspect of the Constitution I can think of where the citizens, in order to get the justice they deserve, have to make the sacrifice of paying the taxes. Tell us about now. We, it looks like we probably got about ten minutes left. No, 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 no. We got to go. We got to go. We got to keep going longer. I'm actually learning a lot, David. Well, so, I'm learning. Well, a lot. See, here's why the superior court judge has to sit on this because if you get three lawyers in a room, there's no way you have a time limit. <laughs> no, I was just interested in this. What was the c word used? Constitution. We still yeah. have one. Yeah. Some people would argue that. Yep. The Baker's Kitchen, located at 227 Middle Street in downtown New Bern, is the best destination in New Bern where you can have breakfast all day. The Baker's Kitchen has everything to satisfy your hunger, from delicious omelets, pancakes, eggs, grits, gravy, and our signature best French toast in town. All of our items are baked fresh every day. Try our homemade pies, cookies, muffins, breads, and our delicious cinnamon rolls. Stop by and let our friendly staff serve you. The Baker's Kitchen opens Sunday through Thursday, 7 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. and Friday and Saturday, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. The Baker's Kitchen at 227 Middle Street in downtown New Bern. Your place to go for breakfast all day. The best French toast in town and your home for home cooking away from home. A great web design will help your business rise above the clutter and stand out from your competition. Newburn Web Design partners with their clients to create powerful, stylish, and mobile-friendly websites focused on converting visitors into loyal customers. Newburn Web Design will guide your company through the web design process from concept development to site launch. Even if you already have a website but would like to give it a new look or just add features to appeal to more users, Newburn Web Design can help with that as well. For website design that results in more traffic, leads, and sales, NewburnWebDesign.com. Want to know what I like best about high school sports? I love watching my son run on the field. I love the fact that since he's been playing high school sports, he's making better decisions. And I love knowing that with the proper equipment, education, conditioning, and coaching, high school sports here in North Carolina are safer than ever before. That's something I really love. This message presented by the North Carolina High School Athletic Association and the North Carolina Athletic Directors Association. Join Toyota of New Bern for MumFest, October 8th and 9th in historic downtown New Bern. This weekend's celebration will feature the high-flying X-Pogo Extreme Pogo Team, the Bud Light Beer Garden, the Purina Daredevil Dog Team, the Gardens at Tryon Palace, plus musicians, food, amusement rides, and entertainment galore. Kick off the weekend Friday night with the Bojangles MumFest kickoff concert on the south lawn of Tryon Palace with Eric Paslow. Party! 
Come and enjoy Mumfest in beautiful, historic downtown New Bern. 252 Radio is a proud sponsor of Mumfest. Mumfest is sponsored by Toyota of New Bern, the North Carolina Education Lottery, Wells Fargo, the Galley Store and Marina, Carolina East Health System, WITN, and Biomark Advertising. Mumfest, October 8th and 9th in downtown New Bern. Learn more at mumfest.com. New Bern, North Carolina. 107.5 FM and 1450 AM. Really? So, it, it is, it, it, it's the highest judicial official at the local level that people will come into contact with as a Superior Court judge. But you're having to campaign in three counties, Craven, Carteret, and Pamlico, just like somebody running for the state house. Mm-hmm. But you can't go out, as, as Lee said, and make any promises. You can't go out and say, I'm going to send everybody that breaks the law to jail. I'm going to pave the highways. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Tell us about because you said this is your first campaign. Yeah. Tell what, us about that process. What, well, first thing I do is, is introduce myself, as I've done here today, and people need to sort of get an idea of who I am as a person. Um, I talk about my three daughters. I talk about my two grandsons. You know, I talk about any aspect of my family I can talk about. Uh, and then I tell them what I do for a living. I tell them about the fact that I had this career and I changed paths, and, I, and it's time to change paths again. Uh, and I talk about exactly what, we, what a superior court judge does. Uh, and what kind of decisions they make and what kind of you know, research they have to do and what kind of thought they have to put into the process. Uh, and then I tell them there are issues that are going to come before the court that I can't talk about because I don't want to disqualify myself from this. So you have to sort of judge your judge um, by looking at who he or she is as a person. And, and who have you reached out to? What, what's a typical campaigning day? How often are you out campaigning? And how many pairs of shoes have you worn yeah. out so far? <laughs> Uh, quite a quite a few. There's there. I basically have something to do after work every single day. So I work, go in, put my time on the clock. I, I obviously do not campaign during business hours because I work for the state of North Carolina, and so I don't. I have my day uh, campaigning day stops at eight thirty or so. Actually, I get into the office earlier than that, but stops at eight thirty and starts at five. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm managing a fairly large caseload. Uh, but I go. To, I've, I've talked to you know volunteer fire departments. I talked to uh, other fire departments, law enforcement groups, fraternal order of police. Um, went to the Craven, or I'm sorry, Carteret County Bar meeting the other night. Uh, went to the God and Country banquet on Monday. Um, Going to go to the NRA banquet next week. Uh, Fireman's Day in Cove City is Saturday. Got to go to that. There's also a minority business um, expo that's going on Saturday at Stanley White. So I'm going to stop in and say hey to folks there. Um, and, and a lot of times it's not standing up and making a speech. It's simply just, just go around and say hi to people. Introducing yourself. Because people don't know who the judge candidates are. And if you just shake their hands and say hello and say, tell me what you do for a living, at least they get to see you and know you a little bit more than, than simply a name on a ballot. And what I will say is that you know his, he doesn't campaign during uh, during uh, during business hours. And as a matter of fact, I was I was we have a bunch of cases together for next week, and he is going to be in his office on Sunday. Told me he's going to be <laughs> in, uh, he's going to be in his office on Sunday uh, working on those cases. Look, down card is that what you called it? Down card. Down ballot. Down ballot. Why shouldn't this be a down ballot? Why shouldn't the judge's uh, uh, election be a judge's race be down ballot? Why? Tell people why it should not be down ballot. Well. It- 
if you're if you read the news and you hear, well, some judge somewhere just declared some law unconstitutional, and I think that's you know I I think that's stupid. I think that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. Or you say, great, finally someone took a stand on this. Decisions like that are made by trial court judges. That's what a superior court judge is. It, it goes up to the appellate courts and it goes to the North Carolina Supreme Court or it goes to the United States Supreme Court eventually if it keeps being reviewed. But someone has to make that decision first before it goes anywhere. Uh, if you think about the, the, the crimes you hear about, I mean, unfortunately, in, in New Bern last year, we had a, a spike in homicides. And you think about how, how are we going to respond to this? How are they being investigated? How are they being prosecuted? And what happens when they get to court? What sentences, uh, if someone's convicted, are they going to face? What kind of trial are they going to face? That all depends on who your judge is uh, because the judge, every judge is going to be different. And, and I'm not going to take a prosecutorial approach. I'm not going to take a defense approach. I've got both sides running around in my head, and I can keep them separate and, and then still unify them when I need to. All right. You know what? And, and that's, 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 that's it, folks. Look, I, I, don't, I, don't, you know, I, I didn't think about it that way, but – you have a voice in you know, shaping the Constitution. You have a voice in shaping your world, not, not like with a House of Representatives member or a president. You have another voice in shaping the Constitution. This is not a down-ballot thing. You want a judge that's going to that's gonna, um, uphold your vision of the Constitution. You want an America that's going to uphold a, your vision of the Constitution. We all talk about it. Get out. Think about this uh, ju- judge's race. Um, Robert McAfee is on today. We got to we got to talk about some other stuff before we go. Robert McAfee is on today. Thank you very very much for being here. Thank you. Thank next, you. Next week we're going to have Josh Willey, the other candidate for uh, Superior Court judge. So listen into that one too. You can uh, watch this live on uh, re- reruns live or on Facebook. It's going to be rebroadcast tonight at five between five and six, I believe. So if you missed any part of this, go uh, on this station five to six. Not down ballot. Very important. Absolutely. And and certainly let me say this, uh, Lee, and I think I, you would join in saying this. We've talked to you, Robert, today. We'll have Josh here next week. Both Josh and Robert, in my opinion, are qualified for this position. Uh, we don't want anybody to interpret anything we've said today as endorsing any particular candidate. Absolutely not. Race. Yeah. No, absolutely not. We're not taking not. sides. We're not picking sides. My interest, honestly, Dave, my interest is getting to getting to meet the candidate myself, asking the questions that I would want to ask. And sharing some knowledge with the community about the importance of picking the next judge. So we don't want anybody to believe that we are taking sides in this, in this race. But we do appreciate you, Robert, coming in today. Uh, I think it's been very informative, and, and I've certainly enjoyed I've known you since you came to town as an mm-hmm. attorney, and I've enjoyed that relationship. And certainly we wish you the best in the future. Thank you. Thank you. And I, and I appreciate your, your stance on, on both of us. That we're trying to run, both candidates are trying to run a race that is, does not have the, the vitriol and acid that's in the, the national races, even the gubernatorial races. We're trying to run a gentleman's race. Thanks again, Robert. Thank Good you. job. Hey, Dave, uh, Sabrina is in Italy right now. She's texting me. We got a couple of things to do. The the city, um, the city this week, and we'll we'll get we'll take them in inverse order. The city this week uh, did a vote on some on not spending money to improve the Oaks Road streets down there. But even more important, because we both knew them, uh, Alex Thalman, a fallen hero in in Newburn, uh, they've decided to. Uh, to name a park after him, the city's decided to name a park after. I him think in it's Lost a Creek. it's a field at the park, yeah. an athletic field. Yeah, an I athletic believe field. it's that first one there on the left. And yeah. you have that written down in your notes. What thoughts? Uh, well, you know uh, that follows a tradition in 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 
and uh, of course, having been the district attorney for 26 years and worked so closely with law enforcement, uh, those matters are, are very personal to me. Uh, we lost another Newman officer some years back. Don Miller was killed and uh, down in Wilmington when he confronted an armed man in a hospital parking lot, and a park in Newburn bears his name. Uh, and uh, it is the type of recognition. It's that visible presence where we can recognize how serious the job our law enforcement community does and the risk they take every day to defend us, to protect our security so we can feel safe in our community. So I think that was a great move by the city, and certainly they would be congratulated for that, that move. I agree. I mean, I, I, you know, we're back. We're, you know, we're talking, with, uh, we're talking with Robert earlier, but we're in district court, and it is the first line of where people, a lot of people are going to meet police officers and where they're going to meet judges, where they're going to meet whatever. I remember, you know, because Alex Thalman was uh, uh, hired while I was the mayor. Yeah. And, and so I had the I had the privilege of getting to swear him in. We also had the privilege of going to court. This was a young man. I, I think you know, looking at him, we got three minutes. Looking at him in in court, and and he looked really so young. Just always, a, a young, bright face, though. Just an young, energetic, young, bright, face. young, sure. bright yeah. face. Always smiling, doing his job professionally. He was nice to everybody. He is exactly the kind of police officer who who makes you proud as a mayor to go. That's the kind of guy who's going to bring. Um, you know, when when the first when the first time a lot of people meet the Constitution is with your police officer. He's a great. He was a great Absolutely. ambassador to. He was a great ambassador for for our Constitution. And, and you know, I was proud to have had him there. Knew him. Loved him, and so I'm glad that I'm glad that uh, you know Field is being named after him. I wish we could absolutely do more. One of the things that I think we need to do more of, and I think what and it, and it reinforces it reinforces what a city can do, um, and the responsibility a city has is to make our city safe, um, is to make our city safe, and to make policies that in the future are going to make our city safe. And that's not an easy job. It's not an easy job, but it's one that we need to think of. Absolutely. And we, we need to keep that in the back of our minds when we're making decisions uh, in the city. Because first and foremost, we want to keep our citizens safe. And for God's sakes, we want to make sure a tragedy, a horrific death like that does not happen again. And we want to remember it. We want to remember it. So uh, I don't know when I didn't get the uh, I didn't get when it's going to be when the ceremony is going to be. But I'm certainly going to be there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he had a very, very, very nice funeral service here at Temple Baptist Church. I'm sure you were there. Oh. I was there, and and uh, it's, it, it was... it's just something that we just can't put past us. We always have to be mindful of it when we hear things about law enforcement officers when they're criticized. Uh, most people, unless they watch cops on television, most people don't know what it's like to be out there uh, dealing with with folks they have to deal with. So they are they are to be commended, they are to be supported, they are to be held to a high standard. But at the same time, we got one minute. And Robert McAfee just wanted to say one thing. I just I just wanted to put this out there. Uh, two of our local troopers, Scott Kasner and Richard Woods, were called over to Charlotte yesterday to be part of the security force there. And I just want to thank God we had a nice quiet night last night. Yeah. I hope that lasts, and, and they should be coming home soon, I hope. But, but two, two other local guys who are out there dealing with uh, these issues of unrest. So and, and, thank you to them. Yep, yep. Hey, um, Dave, I think we got like 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Daryl's putting up his 30-second mark. It was so nice having you here today. It's a great time. They always enjoy We We, we did enjoy Sabrina, you. you're back there in, uh, you're back there in Italy uh, watching. You know, we love you. Thank you for uh, allowing us to do this today. Um, God, we are going to be back next week with Josh Willie. 
Um, have a great weekend. It should be wonderful after this rain. I'm going out on the boat. I hope to see you in Beaufort. I'll be keeping I'll be an eye. Guy. I and wildlife will be looking out for you, Lou. I'll be the guy in don't the... Call, don't call the DA's office. I'll be the guy in the Speedo, and uh, we'll see you on the sidewalks. Ain't it just like a friend of mine to hit me from behind? Guess I'm gone to